some of these parables that, that I'm talking about are, are things that I've preached on, you know, before, but since it's in the, the lesson of parables, you know, you're, you'll hear some of these things over again, but I try to, uh, one preacher said, do you, somebody asked him, do you preach your messages over and over again? And he said, what do you do with your dirty socks? You know, point made. You put them in a washer and you wear them over and over again, you know, and so that's the same way you do it. With a message, you just run it through the machine again. And uh, I had a, we, one of our instructors when we were in Bible school told us that uh, he admonished us never to keep our messages after we prepare them. And, uh, and I've never, ever been like that. I've, I've got probably 99% of everything that I've ever preached, journaled uh, in, in some fashion or form. And, uh, so I've got, I've got a lot of, you know, I've, I don't even know how many messages I have. I got them on computer. I have them on hard copy and, uh, and they're very precious to me. You know, uh, I've got some from, uh, when we first started out where we didn't have word processors and things like that. And so everything's handwritten and uh, I've still got them and uh, the different, the different methods that I used in keeping my notes, you know, that was easiest to read them as I'm uh, preaching and so on index cards and so, so on half sheets of paper. I've got it all. What, what I need to do, what I need to do is, uh, um, I need, I've, I've got two, two messages. I got the first one that I've ever preached. I got it on cassette. Does anybody know what a cassette is? Okay. <laughs> um, I, if, if I had a cassette player, you, you have one and, uh, we need to bring it to church. I'll play that for you. And then Debbie and I, we did a radio broadcast when we were in Bible school as a lesson. And, uh, I'd like to do that too. I have that on on tape, but, uh, I'd like you to, to hear it. You know, I think it'd be pretty cool if the cassette will still play. I haven't played it back since it was recorded, you know, so it might be a little atrophied, but, <laughs> but, uh, huh? No, it's on cassette. Yeah. We were right in that transition thing. We, it was a real upgrade going to cassette <laughs> but anyway all right uh, Luke chapter 13 verse 6 he spake also this parable a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard behold these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it 
down. May the Lord add the blessings to the reading of his word. And everyone said, amen. Or some of you said, amen. That's pretty weak. But anyway, the, the parable this morning, this is parable number 20, uh, the barren fig tree. Now, as we've been learning in, in these parables, you know, a lot of them are given to the Jews. You have to understand, you know, elements of Jewish culture and, and tradition and et cetera. And we've tried to do that uh, as we go along. But like anything in the Word of God, it is also applicable to the church. And, you know, and when we talk about the church, it's applicable to our personal lives as well. So just keep in, that in mind. The context is seen in the wake of the first five verses, and, and Jesus leaves them with a critical admonition, you need to repent. You need to repent. And, you know, once again, that is one of the central themes of uh, Scripture, especially for you and I in the New Testament, uh, when we're saved. Uh, in order to get saved, you need to repent, and in order to... I, uh, to maintain your salvation because of our imperfections in life we need to walk in that mode of repentance so that, that's always good um, let, let, let's look into the interpretation of this parable the man represents God <clears throat> excuse me the vineyard represents the people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7 for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. So there's really no argument or, you know, d dispute over, you know, who the vineyard is. It's Israel. And that's just one of the scriptures that we can find. The fig tree represents Israel's religion. Those that live the life of a religion, uh, namely the Jews, they were living without Christ. Christ came to his own and his own received him not. But they, they continued on, even though they didn't receive him, they continued on in their religion. And let me say here, folks, that any religion without Christ is purely religion. You know, you have to have Christ. Amen. And let, let me just say this also, there are some religions out there that try to incorporate Christ but they don't put Christ in as sovereign, as deity, um, and so therefore they're wrong also. Uh, you know, like the Mormons and Jehovah Witness and, and other groups as well. So just because you do have Jesus in your theology doesn't mean that you are saved. Even the Muslims look at Jesus as he was a prophet, but we all know how they live their lives, and we might comment on that uh, in a little bit here. Um, in John 1.48, Nathanael asked Jesus, how do you know me? And what did Jesus say? When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. When Nathanael was living the Jewish religion, Jesus saw him. And Jesus saw his sincerity. He was really sincere in seeking out after the Messiah. He was really sincere in the practice of his Jewish religion. And, I mean, he took it to heart. And Jesus could see that. And Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, when you were in the middle of your religion, really sincere, I saw your sincerity, is what Jesus was telling him. Amen. Matter of fact, when Jesus confronts him, Nathaniel, without any hesitation, says, Rabbi, 
Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. The dresser of the vineyard is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I think it interesting that three years represents the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. Even though he performed miracles and fed the 5,000 and healed the lame and gave sight to the blind and, and so on, Israel continued to be spiritually bankrupt, bearing no fruit. They just didn't want to accept him. There was a few that did, but the vast majority of them uh, did not accept Christ as their Messiah. The dresser, which is Jesus, pleads with the owner, which is God, to allow him to try and nurture for one more year. Give me some time here. Let me try to, to uh, uh, you know, fertilize this tree and, and try to uh, nurture it in such a way that it will, will uh, bring fruit. Uh, but the Jews became more hostile to Jesus. They crucified him because their religion would not accept him. I, I like to look at the different ways that Christ tried to get their attention. He was crucified. And in his crucifixion with, with the trial, the shedding of his blood, the rigorous beatings that he that he took, the torture, you know, that was the fertilizer. And it simply wasn't, I don't want to say wasn't enough because it was, but they still wouldn't accept it. I've often heard it said that the, the, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church or the fertilizer of the, of the church. So cut it down. Cut it down is a prophetic reference to the Roman judgment upon Israel in 70 AD and when it was destroyed. And once again, they brought it upon themselves. If you look in history and see the extent of what happened to them for their denial of him, it was extremely graphic. It was terrible, the things that Rome did to the Jewish people. So now, with all that being said, let's make a transition now to the church. I believe this parable is very much applicable for the church because of the context of this parable. Once again, it focuses on repentance. Repentance towards God is a prerequisite for salvation. However, like the Jews, the church too struggles with religiosity. They simply do. And that, my friend, cannot and will not save you. It takes a personal, daily walk with Jesus Christ to maintain your relationship, to maintain your salvation. The characters remain the same. God is still the man. He's still the owner. The dresser is still Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Wherefore, he is also or he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The vineyard is the church. The fig tree are those within the church that are merely religious. And, you know, and we've said this, and, you know, you, 
you've heard this from me down through the years. You grew up in it. Most of you have. You know, it just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, you have to have that relationship with Him. However, along with the dresser, we have the Holy Ghost that woos a person and pleads for his soul within the church that that person might finally come to the, the, the awareness that I need to, to bear fruit. Amen. I, I, just, just saying that you're a Christian doesn't get it. You need to bear fruit. The three years and more represents the patient and patience and mercy and pleading of God for those that bear fruit unto salvation. See, the interesting thing about this is, is the owner, which is God, when he said, look, this tree is not bearing any fruit, let's cut it down. And, and the dresser says, no, Jesus Christ says, no, let me try to work with it and get, get it to bear fruit. And, and I hope you understand God is not just, you know, the, the Godhead is not just looking for an opportunity to, 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 to ostracize you or cast you out, but he's willing to be merciful Amen. And work with you, work with me so that we'll come to our senses and, and possibly have a turnaround, repent and turn around. Amen. That's what God wants out of you and me. He's more for us than he is against us. A lot of people in their presentation makes it thinks, make, make you think that God is against us, but he's not. He's really, he's really for us. Amen. The Lord has been waiting year after year. Uh, for some people to get right with him and show forth fruit unto repentance. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Oh, judgment is going to begin first with you and me. You know, if, if it starts with us, what's their end going to be like? And, you know, one of the awesome things about living for church and hearing different messages from a variety of, of preachers that we, we try to get from time to time, you know, is to give you such a rounded diet uh, so that you never get used or you never get lazy spiritually, so that you're constantly being challenged, amen, to step up to the plate and continue to maintain your, your relationship with Him. See, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he talks about communion, he says, if you, as often as you break, uh, you know, the the bread and the wine, he says, if we judge ourselves, we will be not judged. In other words, when you have communion and you really do soul searching, if the Lord would come right then, amen, after you're done partaking, you should have a clean slate. But I, I stretch it a little bit further than that. I mean, without doing any harm to scripture, that's why we come to church so that our lives are constantly being monitored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I, I just believe that with all my heart, and and it seems like here in the last couple months, you know, the 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 voice of the Holy Spirit, you know, the the tongues and the interpretation. I think 
that within itself shows that the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to, to see things. You know, we're living on borrowed time is what we're doing right now. And I believe the Spirit of God is constantly just trying to, to woo us, to stay where we need to be, amen, so that we're not left wanting, amen, when the rapture takes place or when times get difficult. I think here a, a couple of weeks ago, and somebody might have to help me with this, but I think one of the interpretations was when uh, 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 times get difficult or persecution. What, what was that word that was used? Does anybody remember? A shaking, exactly. There would be a shaking. And, uh, and I believe that's all coming, folks. I mean, you, it, it's already begun. It just hasn't happened to you and me, per se, here, because we're still uh, living a rather normal life. But I believe that very much is, is coming. There is coming a time when there's going to be no more time. The Spirit of God keeps reaching out, but fortunately, un but unfortunately, people are getting harder and harder and harder, amen. And uh, when you get so hard, then you begin to develop an attitude that you just don't want to hear it, you don't care. And the harder you get, it becomes more difficult for the Holy Spirit to get in your life and to do that work, that fruit-producing work that that you and I need. Uh, religiosity is violent. It's violent. If you don't believe that, just look on the internet and see what's going on across the world in Paris, London, Switzerland, Germany, New York, Los Angeles. Look at the Muslims. Such a violent religion. An extremely violent religion. And, and they are the ones that uh, uh, promote themselves as the majority because of the voice that they have. I thought it was interesting, you know, they, there was, if, if you've seen the Christians uh, for Israel that marched on D.C. here, was it last, this last Monday or something? I mean, the mall, everything was just packed out, hundreds of thousands of people there. And there was not one violent uh, episode. Everything was completely peaceful. Religion's violent, but Christianity is peaceful. See, we're seeing these things in our lifetime. And these are things that, that Scripture you know, speaks about. And we, we try to highlight that and try to get you to identify it, that truly we are living towards the end of the church age, amen. He goes on and he, uh, God is asking, why cumbereth, which means to render sterile or barren. Albert Barnes, a, a commentator, put it this way. The barren fig tree draws the juices of the earth into it and causes the ground around it to become sterile, thus preventing the growth of the neighboring vines. It was not only useless, but it was damaging to the others around it. My. I mean, if you could just see, that's exactly what religion does today. It damages everything around it. This is the whole purpose of the fertilizer put on the ground to, to put back the nutrients that the tree has been taking. Religion cannot bear fruit 
It doesn't matter how you were raised. <laughs> it really doesn't. You Metzger kids that were raised in, in church uh, under uh, a pastor and a pastor's wife, that simply doesn't save you. It sure helps. It sure tries to get you on the right road and point you in the right direction. But it takes a very, very personal relationship, amen, between you and the Lord at some point in your life, amen. Uh, it, everything else just doesn't work. Uh, only fruit-bearing Christianity will get you into heaven. Some have no idea how close they are to destruction. Let me, let me just ask you this this morning. Just a... I mean, as, as piercing as I can make it, this question. If, if we knew the Lord was going to come in the next 60 seconds, do you ask yourself this question? Do you believe without a shadow of doubt? that you'd be ready for him. Think about it. Do you really believe that I'm ready to meet him if he should come in the next 60 seconds? We're Christians. We're not religious people. Amen. For people to sit in church, service after service, listening to sermons, and when I think of listening to sermons, look at what we've had down through the years here from behind this pulpit. Man, when we, we look back at our, our our annual conference is only seeming to get deeper and deeper and deeper. This last conference was just phenomenal. Did it do anything for your life? Did it? It's one thing to listen, but it's another thing to change. Bearing no fruit is an offense to God. It simply is. Well, what does it mean to bear fruit? Listen carefully. A true believer is one who bears fruit or shows their faith in the way they live their life. God expects his followers to actually follow him. True faith is not evidenced simply by making a declaration. True faith involves actually following Christ. Isn't that what Christian, the definition for Christian? Christ-like. Amen. God's mercy is here this morning. It's in every service that we're allowed to gather. The mercy and grace of God is here. It was God's mercy that kept Adam and Eve from descending into hell. It was mercy that is keeping this sin-polluted this sin world 
from falling into hell right now. It's mercy that keeps, <laughs> that keeps me uh, from day to day uh, in spite of my imperfections. It's the mercy of God that keeps me. The only reason that some of you are not consumed as well as myself is because of the mercies of God. In Micah 7, 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He wants to be merciful to you and I. He wants to see you and me make it. Amen, all the way to the end. He wants to see you and me and our families and our kids and so on. He wants to see every one of us make it into heaven. Praise God. Hannah, if you'd come to the piano this morning. How much more time do you, does your life have? James said, our life is as a vapor. It appeareth for a little bit, and then it's gone. We're not guaranteed tomorrow or tonight. Are you ready for that moment? Let's stand. I think one, was it George Washington, or, or said that the ax has to be laid to the root. Who said that? I think he said that too, cherry tree. But I don't know. <laughs> but anyway. I want to be ready. I believe I am ready. I want my family to be ready. I want my church to be ready. I want my grandkids, Seth, to be ready. Elizabeth, Andrew, Brooklyn, Jonathan, Emily, I want you to be ready to make heaven your home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. Lord, like all the other parables, it's a strong word. We have to be reminded as often as, as you see it necessary We have to be reminded of where we stand in the eyes of eternity. The closer we get to the coming of our Lord, it seems like the more urgency.